What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. We've got a very special sponsor to lead us off. We got Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your baseball betting needs this season as it is officially opening day. Get analysis of every play, prop, and points at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online as a whole. Uh, Bet Online is your baseball, basketball, uh, football headquarters this season. Head to our website today and use our mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code, uh, believe, to receive your bonus pay. Bet Align, where the game starts. Now to the Bruin Bible. What is up and welcome to the latest edition of the Bruin Bible. We have a different type of guest today, man. We usually do things on the football side of the things, as this is the LA Football Network, but this is the Bruin Bible first and foremost. We had to bring some UCLA royalty in the house. My main man, Josiah Johnson, a.k.a. King Josiah, one of the best Twitter followers when it comes to the NBA. Uh, you know, with him posting all these movie quotes, different scenes and memes from all your favorite movies. But, man, this guy is so much more than that. Uh, he created his own television show called Chamberlain Heights. He was a writer on Colin in Black and White when it came to the Netflix documentary, a fantastic one at that. And we're just so honored to have him in the house. He was a former UCLA basketball player on top of all of that. My main man, Josiah, what's going on, dude? It's great to have you on the show. What's up, brother? Appreciate you having me on. Go Bruins. Go Bruins, man. We are so Always. stoked to have you. Yeah, man. It's it's exciting times. I was hoping we can get it done this year. I think the Clark injury kind of hurt us in the long term. Uh, but I want to start this out with the late, great Chris Roberts. He unfortunately passed away uh, this past week, and he was such a legend to UCLA fans listening to broadcasts and, you know, having a lot of their favorite moments narrated by Chris Roberts. And I know your pops worked with him a long time. I know you may have had a relationship with him. What does Chris Roberts mean to you and the UCLA faithful as a whole? I mean, just a, a devastating loss for the Bruin family. When you talk about Chris Roberts, AKA Bob Lapierre, for those who, who know him well, knew him by his, his government name, but uh, Chris just, uh, I mean, a tremendous guy, voice of the Bruins, voice of Bruin basketball, Bruin football, you know, the voice of my youth, uh, you know, when I was younger, my dad was working with him and they were calling games. I would always turn the TV broadcast down, listen to the radio. It'd be a little delayed, but it'd be worth it. Uh, when you just think about all the, the amazing calls and exciting things that he got to do during his career, obviously the, the yeah, baby resonates with me from that 95 championship team, which I was actually a ball boy on. So got to spend a, you know, a lot of extensive time with Chris and my dad going to pregame meals and hanging out and spending time on the road. But just a, a tremendous human being. I think the one thing about Chris, which, uh, you know, I think every Bruin can attest to, just his amazing positivity. Every time you saw, saw him, firm handshake, look in the eyes, you know, you know, always wished you well. You know, no, no matter if the season was going well, season was going bad, always had some positive things to say. Uh, just a tremendous broadcaster. Uh, listen to him call games, the enthusiasm, the excitement. You know, he was really just indicative and representative of what it means to be a Bruin and what it means to be a part of this whole Bruin family and Bruin culture, especially on, on the athletic side. And uh, just a tremendous dude, man. I, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with him throughout my years as a child, through college, graduating even later on in life. And just always uh, just a bastion of positivity, bright smile on his face, was always happy to see you, always happy to talk some shop. 
and uh, you know, just a tremendous loss. And uh, you know, we have we have a family group chat with me, my dad, my brother, my other brothers. And uh, when we had to drop that in there, it was it was a tough, one, especially to see my dad's reaction. He hadn't found out yet. As I think Ben Bolsh, I think was the first person to post it on Twitter, so she just shared that information with him. But you know, just uh, amazing guy, tremendous guy. Just just sad, you know, praying for him and his family, and uh, you know, just wishing the rest of the family all the best in, the, in these tough times. And I was obviously offering my condolences and prayers, but. You know, Bruins lost a legend in Chris Roberts, uh, just an amazing man. And I think his contributions to the Bruins sports and Bruin athletic programs will, you know, live on forever, live on in infamy. And uh, just to be able to hear his voice on some of those calls, like I said, I think about that yeah, baby call all the time. You still beat Missouri in the tournament in 95. Ty Zedney, man. Yeah, Ty Zedney, coast to coast. But, you know, one of the just sheer, just like beautiful moments. You know, a lot of times being a broadcaster, I, I kind of operate in that space now. You can't be affiliated with the team, but that's the great thing about being the, the home broadcast network. You really get to show your allegiance, your loyalty. You're always going to rock with rock out with those Bruins, win, lose, or draw, and just try and be as positive as possible. But just thinking about, you know, his voice and, and, and positivity, you know, the Chris Roberts, and you know, that 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 will always just live inside my head and just what, what amazing human being was. So I'm saying prayers out to his family, and yeah, Bruins definitely lost a legend. Yeah, thoughts and prayers out to the Roberts family. A huge loss for the UCLA fan base. And I want to pivot to something a little bit more positive after, you know, the, the loss of our guy, Chris Roberts. Um, you're a co-host with Gil's Arena Show. And I think a lot of UCLA faithful, you guys must be pretty good friends because the U of A and UCLA rivalry is very big within the Pac-12, man. How did this friendship come to be? And how did you guys link up to create one of the better shows out there on Underdog Fantasy going right now? Uh, you know, so think about Gil, you know, Gil, just a tremendous hooper. Uh, was a legend in the L.A. basketball scene, especially in the San Fernando Valley. Gil's actually a year older than me. First encounter with Gil, I was a sophomore at Crenshaw High School. Uh, Gil was, uh, I think, a, a junior over at Grant. Uh, they played each other in the first round of the playoffs. I think Gil dropped like 40. Crenshaw, Crenshaw notorious uh, for a press we used to call Rover full court press that I've seen, you know, give, give dudes just fits. Gil's breaking it going coast to coast. And my first thing is like, you know, obviously Grant's a small school, doesn't really have a strong basketball tradition. It's like, who is this dude right here? You know what I mean? Just just killing, killing Crenshaw, going coast to coast for layups, dropping a 40-piece. They ended up losing the game, but he single-handedly kept, kept the squad in the game and made it a lot closer than it should be. I think they still might have got smacked by 30, but traditionally in those Crenshaw days, I was a 70, 80-point loss. But uh, so, you know, got to, you know, when I was at UCLA, again, Gil's a year older than me, uh, redshirted. So I think it would have been his sophomore year, my redshirt freshman year. Uh, I think he dropped like 32 on us one game, didn't score in the first half. A couple of guys on our team were John Adam, proceeded to have 32 in the second half in overtime. But uh, we got the dub, which was the most important thing. But been a big fan of Gil and his career, uh, you know, throughout his NBA career. And uh, it, it, coincidentally, uh, I live in the San Fernando Valley now. We ended up, you know, living like two blocks away from each other. So I was, uh, you know, especially during kind of the height of the pandemic, uh, you know, when everybody's stuck at home, nothing to do. I would go on these jogs around the neighborhood, three, four mile jogs. And, you know, oftentimes kind of see him pushing through in a different luxury automobile. We kind of always share a nod and a look. And a couple of years ago, you know, I was just kind of making my way on the, the sports entertainment side. But uh, he, he was looking for a host uh, for his show, No Chill, which we do with Fubo Sports. I was looking for a host, me and him connected. We just kind of bonded pretty immediately. And I think, you know, both of us are kind of e easy guys, funny guys, love to keep the mood light. 
jokesters, pranksters, all that type of stuff. So to be able to connect with him and do the show No Chill that we do with Football Sports, also to be able to do the show Gills Arena now that we're doing with Underdog Fantasy, just tremendous opportunity. Uh, you know, Gil, a lot of people know Gil, obviously, for some certain transgressions in his career, and that's kind of the first thing people think about. But when you really, you know, get to know Gil and get to just understand him as a, a basketball savant, basketball mind, how much he just consumes the game, loves the game, breaks down the game and, and the lens that he has and the perspective that he has, it's just a you know phenomenal human being. So I've just been super blessed and fortunate to be able to link up with him. Now we're going on this is you know, almost a two year anniversary from when we first started doing No Chill. We just launched Gills Arena back in February. That show's going great. Really, you know, dominating the, the basketball scene on on, on 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 the social and digital side. So just to be able to work with Gil, man, I th I'm so so like just kind of pinch myself, man, because you know this is a guy. If you really love basketball, if you really love hoops, yeah. he's he's a you know three time All NBA player, but. Hibachi, just what he meant, Agent Zero, what he meant for those those times coming up. So just to be able to, you know, be able to work with him, you know, three, four days a week. And it's very convenient. It's a two-minute drive from my house. So it's literally the best job I've ever had. Man, well, two-minute drive. You could sell me on any job from that point. But you're yeah. happy to be doing talking ball all day. And the guy that Gilbert always reminds me of, because I was just kind of getting to my basketball fandom when he was kind of in that Wizards run, that like 07 to 09 run. Yeah. It's basically like you take Damian Lillard in a time machine and bring him back. At least that was his game to me, those deep threes. He actually invented the turnaround three, in my opinion, before Steph did. You look yeah. at that game winner he hit where he turned around and hit it like that. So, man, Gilbert Arenas, an absolute stone-cold killer on the basketball court. And anyone who's got beef with that, I mean, you know, come see me on that front. Um, hey, I know, I know we got to talk about UCLA and how you got there, man. Like, was it a shoe-in? Like, did you even have a choice in your family? Because your pops played there, was on some of the legendary wooden teams. Your brother went a natty there. Was there, like, any other school to really consider? Were, like, or was it just like, nah, that's where I'm going to end up? Like, I mean, obviously – Growing up, I went to elementary school on UCLA's campus at a, at a school called Corinne Seeds, uh, University Elementary School. So, you know, even as a youth, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, after school, walk on campus, go play in the arcade. Back when they had the bowling alley, which I know for, for the old school Bruins, they remember those times they had the arcade and bowling alley, go hang out in the coop, you know, go sit in Poly Pavilion and practices, you know, summertime, working out with my dad and my brother, Drake Stadium, then go into the, the, the men's gym or Wooden Center. So, you know, it was ingrained in me at a very early age and, you know, being a ball boy for several years in my brother's time there when he was in college, you know, being a part of that 94, 95 national championship team, seeing a guy like Ed O'Bannon, who's still one of my favorite players to this day yeah. and just what he meant to that team. You know, it was hard not to get goosebumps, you know, cleaning sweat off the court during those games, but just knowing a magical run was coming. So I always dreamed and envisioned it, uh, you know, wasn't quite as highly touted as a recruit as my older brother or my dad coming out of high school was a, a late bloomer. I was like five seven as a freshman. I didn't end up growing to my current height of six seven, so I was like a junior senior in high school. So had some other options. Was uh, pursuing Ivy League schools like Brown, uh, Columbia, and a couple other schools that were recruiting me. Uh, was actually uh, you know close to going to Xavier in Ohio. Skip Prosser, who uh, amazing coach, passed away. Uh, you know back back early in the two thousands, but. Uh, amazing coach, ended up going to Wake Forest, coaching Chris Paul over there, but he was recruiting me kind of heavily. And I think about a guy like Austin Crozier, uh, who went to Crossroads, ended up going to Providence and created an NBA career for himself like that. So I had no desire whatsoever to go to Xavier and be that far away from family, but also felt like it might have gave me an opportunity to kind of get away from everything and just kind of lock in on hoops. But UCLA, they came in, you know, late, late in the game, uh, you know, started recruiting me, I think around like January, February, my senior year. 
Uh, obviously, I knew Coach Lav and the coaching staff and had a relationship with all of them because they had coached my brother when he was there. So when that opportunity came, I still I'll never forget. I was on my recruiting visit. He offered me the scholarship, and it was yeah, instant, immediate yes. Like I'm sure it's the easiest recruit he ever got. So to be able to, to go to UCLA, follow in their footsteps, and just be be on campus, like you know, there's no other campus, no other place I want to be. I know that campus like the back of my hand. Spent so many years there in my youth and in, in my teens and in my adult life, like. There was there was no other place I wanted to go, so had some other options. But when you, once UCLA came calling, it was a done deal. Man, yeah, I mean, once you just kind of drive around Westwood, get the feel for it. I mean, there's no other option out there. Yeah. Were you once they open the In and Out? Once they yeah, open the yeah. In and Out, you know what time it was. Oh, <laughs> it was, it was you're great. I miss Buck Fifties though. Shout out to you know Buck Fifties, a legend. Not quite a. It's tough now going back on campus and just remembering what it was, but seeing you know even all the movie theaters we used to have there. You know the Whole Foods now. Used to hit that movie theater all the time. Uh, I forget what the, what the, what the back inside what it is now. All the, the different restaurants, eateries like you know Barney's Beanery. It was it was Madison's in my heyday. Uh, truly fine establishment. A lot of legends used to come through there, like Bob Saget, Woody Harrelson, all those type of people. So it's tough walking around now. Even like I, I did a like a campus visit a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And just seeing the dorms and what they're serving in the dorms and all these healthy eating options. Like, we didn't have any of that. You were hitting the cereal bar. You were making all types of combos with the chicken breast and kind of the staple food items they had there. And you just get elaborate with it. Like, I might go Mexican one day and make a nice quesadilla, but I'm doing everything kind of on my own. So, to see the way that the campus has changed, campus life, it's a little like, you know, it's not as turned up as it used to be back in the day, but still, still lovely campus, still walking around, always brings back memories, just the nostalgia, the pageantry. Of, of being at UCLA. Dude, of course. There's like no better place to go, at least on the West Coast, for my money. Uh, were you at Crossroads at the same time as Baron Davis was? Because I know he yes. went prior. Yeah, yeah. so Baron's a few years older than me, but I was at Crossroads for junior high school, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, so BD was a, uh, I think, a 10th grade when I was a seventh grader. And we actually came up in the same AAU program uh, with the Team K-Swiss, coached by Thaddeus McGrew. So, BD and I always just had a, and that's another guy. Like when, when you talk about just basketball players that deserve their flowers and, and what they mean to the city of, of LA and the basketball community just in general, Baron Davis is a guy who I remember being at Crossroads and the stuff BD would do as a 10th grader in games was, you know, most of the wild stuff. I also remember being at Crossroads and, you know, a couple of guys, we had outdoor courts. There it was a small school, it's in an alley. Now the school's expanded. Now they've got athletic facilities, all that stuff. We used to practice in a parking lot, you know, in junior high. They had to move the cars out, and they had, like, a little full court in there. But we had another court, like, right on campus. He was out there messing around, dunking with some guys, ended up hurting his knee. But, you know, remembered the, just doing windmills and all the crazy stuff that he was able to do. But BD is, like, a, a big brother for me, a mentor. You know, obviously he left UCLA after two years. If he would have ended up staying through his senior year, which we all knew was, was not realistic, but I would have got the chance to play with him. But also got Earl Watson, too who him and Barron came in together as freshmen. Earl was a senior when I was a freshman. Another another human being. You know, when people ask me who's the greatest leader that I've ever been around, uh, it's Earl, Earl Watson easily. Like, you know, just what he meant to the like basketball program. My retro year, I didn't get to play. He was a senior. But, you know, the, the victories that he willed us to and just, the you know, the team mentality and the dynamic and the way he was just a leader on and off the court and just, uh, you know, even what he's doing now, coaching with the Raptors, always just a, a great gentleman. So Barron, B.D., you know, I just think my Charles, Ed O'Ban, just all the, the guys, George Zedek, even the guys that I got to see during yeah. my time, you know, in my youth and also when I was playing there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your family was very close with John Wooden. And for somebody like myself, somebody that looks at UCLA lore, 
you know, he is a legend in everybody's eyes and in sports. It's not even just college basketball. He transcends sports in general with just how many, how successful he was at UCLA, his pyramid for success, whatever it may be. You got to interact with him a lot growing up. Do you have any like go to John Wooden stories you tell your buddies when people ask about him? Because he's such a big time figure in UCLA history. Yeah, I mean, we think with John Wooden, you know, the greatest coach in the history of sports. Uh, I don't think anybody can debate that. What he meant to that program, the run that they went on, the 10 national championships. My dad was actually on the last national championship team in 75. Uh, but, you know, I guess funniest story, you know, Coach Wooden was a lot older by the time I got to UCLA. He would still come to practice occasionally, still come to games. And it was always just, you know, obviously the goosebumps you would get when he would start talking and just thinking about, you know, what he meant to the, but always just like a, you know, super cool dude. Funny. I remember one time, redshirt year, I'm coming back from a broken foot. So I'm doing some drills on the side court. I'm dribbling two basketballs, you know, kind of just working on my handle. He kind of just, you know, matter of fact, he's like, you know, I don't know why you're dribbling two basketballs. You only play with one. All he said, you know, kept it pushing, but we kind of both giggled and laughed a little bit. But he also just remember, you know, being at games, him sitting right behind the bench and just kind of what that meant to the program. And, you know, obviously devastating loss was also blessed and fortunate with my dad and my brother to be able to conduct Coach Wooden's last formal interview. Uh, we did. Uh, he gave us he was gracious with his time, let us interview. And we were doing a piece for the UCLA Black Alumni Association and uh, just to raise awareness and raise scholarships for their scholarship program. Told Coach Wooden about it. More than happy to let us come over to his condo in Encino. And to be able to do that interview, I was so nervous and scared. I had to, I had to put a, a mic on him, a live mic on him. And just, you know, I don't want to, you know, he was, he was very frail and fragile at that point in his life. And I'm just like, look, I don't want to, like, slip and hurt this dude or anything like that. You know, I'm, you might, you know how many people would be pissed off with me. But just to hear him reflect on his life, you know, coaching guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was Lou Alcindor, obviously, when he was at UCLA, the things that 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 Kareem dealt with playing and just, you know, the perspective that coach wouldn't had on life and, and the, the figure that he was for so many former players, coaches, and everybody who kind of touched him was in his circle. So to be, you know, I don't take those things for granted. You know, as I look back in life, I'm a little bit older now, gray hairs on my head, you know, and when you're younger, people tell you to appreciate those things. You don't necessarily do it, but as you gain some perspective in life and you're able to reflect back on just what, what being able to interact and, and talk to and ask questions and just be in the presence of somebody who's a legend like John Wooden, those are things you re you really cherish. Absolutely, man. John Wooden is UCLA. When you think of the sports fandom of, you know, people like myself and everyone that's went there and who follows the basketball program. So shouts out to the Wooden family. Uh, you guys changed the game. When it comes to kind of your interest in, in uh, you know, movies and TV shows, I mean, I'm always seeing you post clips of The Wire, which for my money is one of the top five shows of all time. Good man. Different shows like that, man. Like, where did this come from? Because usually when I'm connecting with people just in life or at parties, and stuff, it's like, oh, you like the same shit I like. Like, you're watching Succession. Like, that's my stuff. Like, let's talk about that. Like, I'll talk for 10 minutes at a party about that. Where did your kind of, like, love of movies and TV shows come from? Because you have such an extensive knowledge on that. Well, it's crazy thing. My dad, a lot of people don't know, when he was at UCLA, he was a theater arts major. Uh, he was He was hosting shows on campus. Uh, incredible writer, incredibly talented actor. Obviously, everybody knows White Man Can't Jump and Blue Chips. And, you know, I remember early on in the game, he was on a show, L.A. Law, which uh, I used to love, like Corbin Burns, and he was in Major League. There was always just, like, connections I make in life. Like, oh, I like this show because the dude from Major League is in it, things like that. But seeing him on the big screen TV, growing up in that world. But really, for me, he was a major influence. But it's funny, man. So I was at UES uh, for elementary school on UCLA's campus and had just such a dynamic 
student body base. So I actually ended up connecting with Jason Schwartzman, who was a year older than me. And yeah. during the time we would do film school, guy by the name of Joe Lucero who passed away. But Joe was like the, the camera guy, videographer, kind of multimedia guy at UES back in those days. And he would do a film school in the summertime. So I was like third, fourth grade. Uh, we did it right at a little, it was like a, it was like a fake, like I don't even like a small university or they had some classrooms uh, right off of like, uh, right off of Wilshire and Westwood in the summertime, I would get dropped off and we literally just hang out there all day. A lot of times we'd go to Jason Schwartzman's house. Uh, Jason's mother is Talia Shire who played Adrian in all the Rocky movies. So we'd be at his house just hanging out. His younger brother, Robert, obviously an accomplished musician was in the band Rooney. But we was like 10 kids, 12 kids. He'd be writing scripts and we'd be acting in movies. So me and him literally is like third. He was I was in third grade. He was in fourth grade. Did like a, a, a lethal weapon spoof where he was like the Mel Gibson character. I was a Danny Glover character. But literally a script he, he wrote by himself. Like, you know, he was he was professional on set. So just seeing it, being around it, my mom and dad growing up, my dad obviously played with the Clippers with Norm Nixon. Norm's married to Debbie Allen. Debbie was doing a different world. Sinbad show. Obviously does like Grey's Anatomy, all types of crazy stuff now. But my mom was like an extra on that show. W went to elementary school with, with Norm's kids, Vivian and, and Norm Jr. So would go with them, you know, on, I think on Wednesdays or Thursdays, whenever they would tape a different world, we'd get picked up from school in the carpool, go over to a different world set. And, you know, I literally just spent hours there, but really getting to see behind the scenes, right? Not just in the studio audience, getting to walk around sets and, meet actors and, and just kind of learn that side of it, read scripts. So always just kind of was fascinated and enamored by it. And growing up in LA, there's so much just access to the entertainment industry, you know, and just being a part of it. And you really start to learn and discover. Yeah. Everybody who watches, you know, shows and you talk succession. I just got into that now literally yeah. midway through season two was kind of whole. I was the same with game of Thrones was a little, you know, a little hesitant on it, but ended up, you know, getting through like six seasons in like a month then like timed it up just in time for season seven and season eight to watch those live succession. I don't think I'm going to catch it in time. I think for the series finale, but just, just being enamored with, with quality television, good TV, bad TV. And the other thing that really, really helped that was my dad. Uh, when he was coming up playing with the Clippers, we were living in Bel Air. We were living a pretty good life. He had the satellite that literally got channels from all over the country. Like, oh, you know I mean? It was like so huge good. ass satellite. So we were watching, we would like we would like fake our friends out because he would get all the East Coast feeds of like NBC and these shows. So we'd watch shows three hours early. Friends would come over for the you know the 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 the, the West Coast viewing, and we would we would predict what would happen in the show, right? And they were like, "How'd you know that?" Like, oh, I mean, I, I just know the game. But so for me, I just had a huge library, and, and you know, used to love going to movies as kids. Was would walk around you know Westwood Village, uh, Century City when they had the AMC fourteen movie hopping, see three four movies in a day. And that was our entertainment. When I was young, it was like, look, we go up to UCLA, hang out, work out, you know, run on the track, you know, do some do some basketball skill work, go, Drake's you know, go team. hang out for a little bit till till the pros come in and play around three o'clock. So from like 12 to three, like I would go mash around Westwood, get a bite to eat, go check out a movie. So I've always just been enamored, fascinated with the, the entertainment side and now to be able to work in it, like just feel super, super proud of. It. And also to have this library of content just stuck in my head, you know, when you're with your friends, you're hanging out and you're just dropping movie lines and clips and, you know, all those, those those amazing moments that you have throughout life. Like I think about, you know, The Wire. Wire came on when I was in college and uh, what I loved about HBO, they would show the, the live, they would show the episode then they would show next week's episode. Like you could get that on like on demand and it would pop up like that night. So we would watch next week's episode, wait till that, that, that next week when it was supposed to premiere, watch it again, watch the next episode. So I was watching each episode of Wire like two, three times. So that's just a show that obviously David Simon, an incredible, incredible creative that, that, that truly resonated with me. So 
I'm able to now leverage that into this new world of, of, of digital media and social media where I'm able to put these clips up and really find that there were so many people that were doing the exact same thing that I was doing. So it's been really cool and refreshing to see. Bro, you are like single-handedly keeping alive the wire, too. So we got to give you respect on that, man. By just posting those clips, that's fucking awesome, dude. So we I love appreciate that. it. Come wire, Gilligan's Island, fucking Small Wonder, just like random, like so much random shit. Charles in Charge, you know, Full House, the original ones, like shows, you know, TGIF. Like that was like my childhood. Just watch these shows, consume them, Family Matters, Step by Step. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, Perfect Strangers, even way, way back in the early TGIF days, like, and just love, love, you know, Frasier, Cheers, just random shit, too. Didn't really yeah. get too much into Seinfeld. Respect to Seinfeld and Friends and shows, but, you know, they weren't necessarily my, my lane. But I've gotten older, really appreciate just kind of what they've meant for the culture and what they mean to America. Yeah. So you never got into Seinfeld. I never really was on that wave either. Are you a Curb guy, though? Because I think there's you can be a Curb guy without being a Seinfeld. Because I love Curb. Like, Curb is the greatest yeah. thing ever. I mean, Larry David, you know, for my money, one of – the funniest dudes. I love that type of humor, that brand, that quality. So, you know, watch watched a lot of Curb early on as I've kind of gotten older in life and got a family now. I don't get to get to watch as much stuff that I, as I would like to. But I think that's a great, great best part about being alive nowadays. So many different streamers and all these things that you can go back and just run through these things. Even something like Succession. I knew I'm going to get into Succession at some point. Everybody was talking about it. It was kind of pissing me off. I would see the memes. And I would see everybody talking about it online. I'm like, I don't know what this means, but this looks very intriguing. And then gave it a run. Watched like the first episode. Didn't make it all the way through. I was having like a, a, a tired day. and wasn't fully locked in emotionally. You know, gave it another chance. Now I've ripped through like, you know, 13, 14 episodes in the last like two weeks. So. Yeah, man. It's a hell of a show. And I've only got a few more questions for you. You've been so generous with your time to come on here, Josiah. Um, you were a writer, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Legends of Chamberlain Heights and the Colin in Black and White on Netflix. I'm somebody that writes scripts or at least has the like outline of it, but I don't know what to do with it. And there's a lot of people at UCLA that are like looking for advice, you know, from writers and they don't know where to go for it. What advice would you give to any young writers coming up that want to, you know, script a show but don't know where to get started? So, I mean, especially interesting now with the writer strike going on, a shout out to the Writers Guild and all, and all yeah. the writers. And I'm a part of the Writers Guild. So obviously we just want what's fair. But when you look at, at, at just especially L.A. Hollywood and kind of that dream of wanting to be a writer, thousands and thousands and thousands. Of, you know, there's more people than you could possibly imagine. You can go to any coffee shop out here, you know, anywhere, and you're going to see people writing in, in, in scripts. So the thing I always try to suggest or advise people is make something, right? Like something that you can actually make, right? And, and a lot of times people get discouraged. They think, you know, we, we live in such a great time now where there's so much prosumer equipment out there. You can have friends, buddies, you know, call them favors where you can make a piece of content. Doesn't need to be perfect. Doesn't need to be the greatest or worst thing ever. But what you will do is you'll learn every time that you do that. And now you get to take your script, which it's hard. Like literally I've been in the game for years now, even me trying to sell a script or sell an idea still a pain in the ass. It never gets easier, obviously, till you get to that level where you're like an Ava DuVernay or, you know, Shonda Rhimes or, or Lena or Kenya Bears, you know, for the people that I look up to in that world. So it's even hard for, you know, people who are actually full-time writers and get writers gigs. And in the writing, especially this is what the WJ is on strike for, writing right now is so fickle. Back in the day, you know, when, when network was the rage, you were getting 20, 25 episode orders. Now those things have been condensed to 10 to eight episodes. The rooms are shorter. You know, people are trying to make more content, but it's so scarce and the job is so hard. So the main advice I would give is, look, write a, write a short story, write something that's easy, that you're capable of actually making. 
And literally that's kind of been indicative of my career and my success in social media. And what I've been able to do. Legends of Chamberlain Heights was created as a result of me and a couple of buddies that played at UCLA. Uh, the conversations we used to have on the bench, but we went on to start a, a sports entertainment blog called Jersey Chaser. Uh, for us, it was just kind of athlete perspective, all the jokes and, and stuff that we would tell on the couch, kind of taking that into blog form. That blog ended up getting the attention of some guys who worked in the industry and literally led to us doing a show kind of on our experiences riding the bench at UCLA. So, you know, there's no surefire way to do it. People ask me how I did it. It was like, look, I was writing eight to 10 articles a day on Jersey Chaser. Wasn't making any money doing, was working a full-time job when I was doing it. But that show literally, I mean, all that work I did literally led, led to me having a TV show on Comedy Central. So it's not going to be easier, long road. I mean, it's going to be a long road. It's going to be a hard road. We started working on that project, I think, 2009. The show didn't premiere to like 2016. So just, you know, that's seven years. So think about that. Like, you know, people see the show on the air and, oh, man, that's cool. It's like, you know, tell me about it. I started that show in 2009. So, I mean, seven years I had to sit here and think about, will this thing ever really happen? Go through all the different hoops, pitching Comedy Central, getting on order, you know, writing a, like a, a presentation pilot, writing an actual pilot, having to now send it to like Las Vegas where they have like 10 people watch watch the pilot to see if they're going to make this series, you know, based on what their reactions are to it to get in a green light, to get in two seasons, first one being paired up with South Park. So the dream is, is possible. Like, I would have never imagined to be able to do that, going from riding the bench at UCLA to having my own TV show on Comedy Central. And conversely, going from riding the bench at UCLA to be able to do a show with Colin Kaepernick and Netflix and Ava DuVernay and Michael Starberry, who was a showrunner on the show and also was a co-creator of Legend of Chamberlain Heights with myself and, and the other guys that worked on that show. So it's very possible. But the reality is you, you just write a great script, right? even to get somebody to read that is so hard and difficult. And, you know, you have tons of friends and people who like you, right? So you have them read your script. Of course, they're going to tell you how much they loved it. And this is great. Now, you know, if it's so great, put up that, that $2 million is going to take to make it. If it's that great, right? That's, that's when you really find out how great your, your writing is. So in the interim time, while you're waiting for that, you know, to get that big break, you can really create that. And I've done the same thing with social media by, by carving a lamp. I'm literally hosting a show with Gilbert Arenas as a result of the work and energy and efforts that I've put on social to leverage my brand, build a following, you know, understand just kind of the hacks of social and, and what makes good content and putting stuff out there. So it's it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Look, it's like a one in a billion chance it'll be easy. For some some human beings out there, there's that one or two people that, oh, it was easy and I went straight through. The reality is for most of us, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a grind. There's going to be a lot of times when you want to quit, a lot of times when, you know, you second guess, question yourself. And the reality is, you even, you know, best writers, you got to be able to take a step back. I, I'll go back and look at stuff I read a few years ago. Like, God damn, this is fucking terrible. Like, this is, <laughs> I literally have to be honest with myself. Yeah. I thought it was amazing when I wrote it in the moment. Like, oh, this is it. This is hot. A couple years later, go back and read it. Like, damn, what was I thinking? I thought this was going to be good enough to do it. But conversely, you've seen so many people now who found success. You have so many tools available at your disposal, social media, YouTube, all these different platforms to be able to put content out there. And, you know, I always talk about somebody like Issa Rae, who, who did Insecure with HBO. That was birthed out of a, a web series she did called Diaries of yeah. a Black Girl. You know, you go back and watch that web series, which if you, you search through the crevices of YouTube, it's still there. Uh, you know, the audio wasn't that good. Camera shots were super shaky. But what she did have was, was great content, a vision, and you could see a show. And that's a beautiful part about Hollywood. That I can give you a cinematographer. I can give you an audio guy. I can give you all these things, but you got to really have that that idea, that seed, to really make that thing grow. So, main thing I'll tell you guys: keep grinding, man. Keep writing. If you really want to be a writer, write. You know, simple as that sounds. That's what it is. But ultimately, it's not going to be an easy path. Like, if you want to get into this world, understand that this shit is frustrating. It's hard. And look, I, you know, I'm doing more stuff on the hosting side now 
you got to have, you know, backup options until you can actually go go and make a full-time living doing the writing. Because, look, I did Legends. I did Colin of Black and White. I did another show called Cherish Today. But those rooms, four or five months, you may not work again for another six to 12 to 18 months, just depending on what's going on. Conversely, you might get on a show that gets multiple seasons. You might be good to go. You might be working nine, 10 months a year, which is like heaven for any writer. But this is not, you know, these, these, there's both ways. So in the interim time, you got to find other hustles, other ways to support yourself. Yeah. And I got two final questions. You can answer them at the same time. We got to get some football in. So I just want to hear your thoughts on Chip Kelly and Dante Moore, this new five-star quarterback coming in. And the last question, we got a ton of Lakers fans in here. I hate to admit to you, Josiah, I'm from Oakland, California. I'm a Warriors fan. So I got my up. But does the Lakers have enough to get it done this year in 2023 going against the Nuggets already down one nothing? So what do you think of Chip and UCLA? And what do you think about the Lakers? Look, I think, you know, this has been something for me that's been, I want to say frustrating, but especially in this NIL world, UCLA is already the the best school on the planet, right? We have a robust alumni base, some deep pockets, some very successful human beings who put those UCLA uh, educations to work out in the real world and been able to generate a ton of income. There's no reason now, you know, playing the Rose Bowl, no reason that we shouldn't have the most dominant college football program in the country that's able to compete with SEC schools, able to compete with all these kind of other schools out there. I love Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, was a big fan of his when he was at Oregon. Obviously, NFL didn't really pan out the way he wanted it to. But I love the, the fire and intensity that he's brought to UCLA. You know, I mean, it, it's enjoyable to watch games now, go to games, the way these teams play. And in terms of Dante Moore, haven't got to see a, a ton of them. Know he's a five-star guy. Looks like he's, he's a big boy, man. And, you know, I mean, that's especially just you need, need the dual threat guys. Uh, to really get it done nowadays. And I think he's somebody that can really help, you know, not only, you know, just 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 for what he's going to do now, but kind of bringing UCLA into the national spotlight. And shout out to Martin Jarman, who's the athletic director, a good friend of mine, you know, taking it to the Big Ten. Look, not a fan of Big Ten basketball, but hopefully they can, you know, learn from LSU, learn from SC, how basketball is supposed to really be played. I don't want to see those 50-point grinders and all that other BS. But I think there's going to be something really magical and special about going to Michigan and Michigan State and Indiana and having all these kind of schools who were historically like, you know, powerhouses and now having UCLA SC there, we don't got to go alone. We get to bring, you know, our little brother USC in there with us to tag along. And in terms of you being a Warriors fan, you know, prayers to you guys, you know, talking a lot of shit before the series started. Now, now we didn't have what it takes to get it done. LeBron will do that to you. No KD. We were not worried. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, no, 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 I know. I know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. When LeBron went up 3-1, man, I, I've never been more nervous just because I was like, damn, this is going to be a full circle moment. He's going to, you know, fucking Steph's going to come back, do some crazy stuff. So when they won game six and it was like they pulled the starters, they pulled the starters with like three minutes, two minutes left to go in the game. Lakers are only up. Lakers are only up 20. And this is crazy. Lakers are up 20 with like two minutes to go. And I'm still nervous. Like, what is Darvin Ham doing, man? Like. Don't give these dudes any hope, any opportunity to come back. But I think, you know, with this Nuggets squad, Lakers had some, 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 you know, Nuggets didn't play anywhere near as good as they're going to play. I think anybody who thinks that needs to just, you know, didn't watch much of them this season. But what the Lakers showed me down 21, being able to cut that lead to three in the fourth quarter, being being able to hopefully figure out a way to kind of neutralize Joker a little bit. Joker's still going to get his, of course, but neutralize it. But the Nuggets were hitting shots, man. Guys were playing at a, a super high level. The Lakers were too. I'm more concerned now going into game two with kind of all the energy that the Lakers exerted in the fourth quarter. That's tough to do that and not get a win. But these guys are pros. They started the season two and ten. We're not supposed to even be here. So 
you know, whatever it is, we got to, you know, call this, this, you know, they're playing with house money right now. What Darvin has been able to do his rookie year. But of course, made to the Western Conference Finals, you know, like Forrest Gump said, made it this far, might as well keep on going. So let's keep on going, go ahead and win this chip. Man, I knew you were going to end with a movie quote somehow. My man, Josiah, coming through, dude. Thank you so much. I uh, really like Darvin Ham, actually. I think he did a great job coaching against Kerr this past series, man. I thought he did a really, really phenomenal job. Lakers, I mean, if it can't be us, I'll give you guys the baton. You guys got to win the whole thing now, so we'll let that you know happen. Go. go Bruins, and uh, any parting words? When can we catch you with Gil each and every week? Uh, so Gil's Arena – on, presented by Underdog Fantasy every Tuesday through Thursday on Gills Arena YouTube page. Uh, started at 11.30 p.m., 2.30 Eastern. Go for about two hours every day, man, talking all things pop culture, sports, basketball, life. You never know what we're really going to get into on that show. But, you know, anybody who wants to come join, come come support a Bruin. We, you know, we got way too many Wildcats involved with the show, watching the show. We need the Bruins to balance it out. We need, you know, real fans of a real program that we can actually respect, you know, where you actually have to have, you know, sufficient SATs. <laughs> and, and reasonable brain power to be able to get into the school. Like we need y'all love and support. So we'll appreciate you having me on the show, man. Obviously go Bruins always. Man. Yeah. Appreciate you, Josiah Bruin Bible. We are officially out is up Bruin Bible listeners. We have another advertisement for you. We are so lucky to be sponsored by the great people at athletic greens. Uh, I started taking Athletic Green specifically because I was lacking energy, lacking focus throughout the day, and needed some special pick-me-up ingredients to make things happen in my life. Athletic Greens has done just that. I've become absolutely addicted to the process. It has over 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to make your life easier uh, by doing this during the day. I like to take it to start my mornings off. I like to do it before a workout. It makes you feel energized, focused, and just have a lot more energy throughout the day than I typically expected. But right now, is the, it's the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. Uh, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to be give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LAFB. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LAFB to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, a game changer when it comes to your health and your focus and your mindset.